Well, this one, last week we started a series that, that I'm calling A Matter of Time. Probably growing up, we've all heard the statement that, well, this thing's a matter of time and that thing's a matter of time. And, and I grew up in the church and I always heard about the end times and the things that were coming and, and always kind of felt like a little bit, yeah, that's a matter of time and somewhere out in the future that's going to happen. But all of a sudden, more and more to me, it seems like we're standing in a time and an hour where it truly is a matter of time and it may be right at our door. So we talk about something being a matter of time and we talk about, we're talking about that it's something that's going to happen. So last week we talked about how that it's our time to shine. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to be salt and light, and we talked about being salt and light in this tasteless world of night. And I really believe that we're at a time and a season and a point that either we cower and become useless, or we stand up and stand out and shine. And that's the choice that we have. So this whole series is really based on Romans 13, 11. It simply says this, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And so as I were praying and, and preparing for this week, this is, this is a lot of times when, when I start on a series, I kind of know what I'm going to hit each of the few weeks. But this time, the Lord just gave me kind of the idea of it's a matter of time, and He's only feeding me just a little bit at a time. And so as I stepped in this week, I really didn't know exactly where I was going. And so I ended up on a passage of scripture that's one you not used very often. Probably you don't, you know, if we were, I remember back in the day, we used to, when we used to do children's church years and years and years ago, that if the service went long, one of the things we'd go to is we'd get all the kids to get their Bibles, we'd do Bible drills, we'd call out a passage of scripture, and they would race, and there'd be a prize for the one that could find it first. And I know that any time we wanted to really trip them up and watch them just going all through the Bible, we'd call out something out of the book of Habakkuk. Well, this week the Lord drew me to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3.2 as a matter of fact. And the more I read it and the more I went through it again and again and prayed through it through the week, the more that I really began to certain things jumped out. And I was reminded of a movie that I haven't seen in a long, long time that came out in 1985. The main character's name was Marty McFly. And the name of the movie was Back to the Future. And the whole idea is Marty found himself in a position that things were happening and he had to, while he was back in time, set some things right so that the future could be what it was supposed to be. And the more I begin to read Habakkuk 3.2 through that filter, the more I realized that partially that's where we're at. You know, since that movie, you can't name, I don't think, a, sig- a single science fiction show that at some point, the storyline for that episode isn't somebody goes back in time and they have to fix the future. Yep. Yep. Now think about that. 
I mean, going back to restore the future. We need to go back. This nation needs authentic Christians because this nation needs revival. And when I'm talking about revival, I'm talking about more than just scheduling services. Sometimes, because I grew up, that we that as churches we had revivals, and there was a lot of times that we would say that we'd have a, a guest speaker on a Sunday morning, and they would speak on that Sunday night, and they would say we're starting revival, and there'd be a Monday night meeting, a Tuesday night meeting, a Wednesday night meeting, a Thursday night meeting, a Friday night meeting. Most time takes Saturday off, and if it was really good, it'd be extended. And so sometimes when people talk about revival, that's what they're talking about. But I'm not talking about just scheduling services. Because in all honesty, we live in a day and a time. If you were to schedule extra services, I could just tell you, about tell you who the handful of people would be that would show up for it. And the rest of them would find something else to do. What I'm talking about, what I'm talking about revival is a revival of the individual. A revival of the church. A revival of a move of God. See, revival starts, and Kristen hit the nail on the head, when individuals begin to see what's going on, and in a sense, they revive themselves. Now, I'm not pulling God out of the equation, but for God to really revive us, there's some things we have to get back to doing on a personal level. I was listening to an old song. It's, I mean, by, it depends on, how many know that old is relative? It depends on when you were born and what, but, but by modern standards, it's an old song. And I actually shot it to Derek, and I knew it was too late for this week. I said, but you know what? Let's come up with an arrangement of this song. And the song simply this, Lord, sin revival, start with me. That's what we need to get to. And then when when individuals begin to get there, then the church needs to turn around and look inward and revive itself. We can't do anything about the world as a whole by ourselves. But if as individuals we begin to revive ourselves, as a church we begin to look inward and we begin to revive ourselves, then guess what? It becomes contagious. And things spread and things can happen. Because guess what? God still to this day, when he sees hungry hearts, he truly desires to pour out his spirit. We ask him to revive us. He's not sitting somewhere saying no. He's sitting there and he's saying it's about time you asked. Yeah, we're all familiar with the story of Esther and I'm not going to get into it. But I love the quote when Mordecai says to Esther, who knows that you were born for such a time as this? You know, you and I are here for this season and this time for such time as this. It is no mistake that you're here right now. God does not make mistakes. The only question is, what are we going to do about it? So I mentioned Habakkuk 3 too. I want you to, to listen to this real quick. Habakkuk is a prophet that you probably don't know much about. And, and there's, there's a, actually a couple of different ways that, that people pronounce his name. And, and both of them are considered correct because that is a weird name, right? 
But in Habakkuk 3.2, he was a prophet about the same time as Jeremiah was a prophet, which is somewhere around 620 B.C., so quite a few centuries before Jesus came on the scene. But he says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. What a prayer over a nation. What a prayer. I mean, he, was, he saw the state of the nation that he was in. And that was his prayer. That was his heart's cry. Here's a man that longed to see his nation restored. He deeply desired to see revival in the nation around him. And I love it. So we're just going to break this verse apart this morning. I'm not being fancy. I don't have any crazy fancy statements. I'm just going to break apart what is said. Starts out, he said, I have heard of your fame. I have heard. I don't know about you, and I realize we got different backgrounds. Some of you came to know Jesus later in life, and you really didn't have that great of a, of a witness growing up. Uh, for me, I know, I am one of those sheltered, spoiled guys that grew up in a good home that everybody makes fun of these days if you watch TV. But I grew up with Bible stories being read for me, I cannot remember a time in my life that I doubted this book. I'm proud of that. Because I believe this to be the truth. I don't believe, I know. And, but yet he, he prayed this prayer. And, I've, and not only have I studied his word, not only have I not ever doubted it, I've studied revivals of the past. And you know what? We live in a day and a time where there are so many that have not heard. There are so many that don't understand the value of God's word. To them, it's a collection of myths. But it's only because they don't know. So this reminds me, begin to think about that process, it reminds me of the situation we find in Judges. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 makes an interesting statement. Because Israel had become a, a nation, and Moses had led them out, and Joshua had, had captured the territories, and it was the time of the Judges where, where the nation, and, and man, they had moments of great outpourings of God, and they had moments of disarray. And you read in verse... In, Chapter 2, verse 10, here you read this. And to me, this is an interesting commentary. It says, And all that generation also was gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That's what was going on during this time, during Judges. That was what was going on in Habakkuk's time. And sadly, that is what is going on today. You see, here we are. Many of us have heard of his fame, but there are so many out there that have not. 
There are so many that, that, you know, we can get angry at them. We can get upset with the way that they behave. But a lot of them are just acting in ignorance because they don't know. They haven't heard. They haven't had an encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't it amazing that we live in the age of information and yet we live in a time of so much disinformation? Many have never heard and simply dismiss the truth as a myth. We need to go back in time. I remember being in school and having show and tell. You didn't just tell, you showed. You brought something with you that said, I'm telling you this and it is the truth and here's my proof. It's about time the church gets back into show and tell, not just tell. That's good. I'm going to pat myself on the back. <laughs> Guy by the name of Rod Och that is from Pray, Pray Tell Ministries said this. Already we can see the first symptoms of the illness creeping through the body of the church. We still claim to believe in the supernatural manifestation of God's power but we rarely see it in our services anymore. I believe God sets each church on a path. He gives them a vision. Once they lose sight of that path, they perish. They may not cease to be, but they just no longer exist with God's purpose in mind. Just like in Judges. What do we see? And I begin, as I begin to work through this in my mind, I begin to back up and look at Scripture as a whole, and I begin to realize this same pattern. You can see it repeated again and again and again through Scripture. You can see it being repeated today. And it's the same thing that happened in Judges. There was a generation that saw and experienced firsthand the move of God. That was the first generation. There was a generation that come after them that saw some of the things God did, but they didn't experience it for themselves. And then the third generation shows up, and they neither experienced it or saw the things that God did. And so to them, it just became a collection of stories and myths. And that's where we're at. Another way of saying that is that the first generation knew the Lord of the work, the second generation knew the work of the Lord. The third generation knew either the Lord of the work or the work of the Lord. And so no wonder. No wonder we see that so much of the things that we see today because people no longer understand they haven't experienced it for themselves. The truth is that you see this cycle as I said all throughout biblical history but the truth is this is the first time in our nation that we've seen something like this give you a little history lesson in the late 1890s there's a frame of thought that began to gain gain traction in in this nation around the world and that was because of a guy by the name of Charles Darwin This idea that there wasn't really a God, that we were just, in a sense, a cosmic accident, and that over time, these little cells that decided to work together became us, that 
through a process of elimination, and you always hear the term billions and billions of years. And so this, this began to gain traction, and it kind of came to a, a little bit of a, a milestone when in 1925, a teacher in Tennessee, there was a trial because this teacher that was, by the way, handpicked, and there was people that were backing him, defied a law in the state of Tennessee and began to teach the theory of evolution as fact. And it went to trial, and it's known as the Scopes Monkey Trial. And it became this thing, and, and of course, through this, they ended up winning this case, and things began to change in this nation. But the only reason we got there was because, guess what? Those people that knew neither the Lord nor the things that he had done. So there was a shift in culture. For some, they shifted from being believers to, well, there may be a God up there somewhere but he's not really involved in things today. For others, they made the, the, the shift to all the way to atheism. And we begin to see these things gain traction and move. And, and finally, there was this idea that finally we've reached the place that common, educated science is going to finally do away with this thing people call God. But here's the cool part. While all of this was going on, on April 9th, 1906, something began to build and happen. There was a group of people that decided to gather and to pray over the nation. In a little place in Los Angeles, California, called Azusa Street. These people didn't pray at home they decided it was time to get together in person and pray through. It was actually led by a guy by the name of William J. Seymour, which was an African-American preacher. They began to meet on March 9th, 1906, and continued until 1915, literally a nine-year revival. They experienced miracles that could not be denied. They had dramatic worship services. There were people that were speaking in tongues and doing some of the things in Scripture that had been kind of done away with by society. They literally did something, and this was so mind-blowing for the day. They had interracial meetings. This small group actually took the Bible at its word and began to apply it and practice it and pray it. And when the revival broke out, participants were many were criticized, even by other churches, what was going on. That can't be of God. It's too out of control. But the cool thing is, it got so much notoriety that many skeptics started going just to watch the show. And once they got shown and told, many of them became believers. Literally today, most church historians, whether they believe it to be real or not, will, will admit this is the primary catalyst 
for the spread of spirit-filled churches all throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century. The Assemblies of God can trace their roots all the way back to that revival. It helped change the course, all the stuff, it literally helped transform the course of the nation for a period of time. Many movements were formed as a direct result. Unfortunately, generations later, we see the same pattern and many of those movements that were founded upon the move of God are either flat out allowing people to hold positions in their churches that is absolutely contrary to biblical principle or they believe those things in doctrine only and practice has become dry. It's where we find ourselves. But this movement was, was started and it had a holy purpose. And the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. They did something radical. They quit just talking about God as if he wasn't there, but invited God to be an active participant in the services through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's why it did my heart so good to hear what happened with our youth. Because at least some of them now, they've seen for themselves. Unfortunately, though, we're kind of there once again as a nation. We have this heritage, but over time, we've walked it back. The only thing we can do is, in a sense, go back, recapture, and use that to change our future. So I was thinking about that. We've, as you guys know, there's some transition even changing here in the church. We know that Nate and Jenny are going, they're going to be pastoring in Oklahoma, and we're excited for what God's doing in their lives, and, and we see these things happening. It's easy to say, God, what are you doing? You know what I really, in all honesty, what I really believe is happening is God is sitting the stage to pour his spirit out again if we will get on our face before God. And what he is doing is he's moving pieces, sitting the table for what's going to happen next. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that there's not going to be opposition because most moves of God, there's opposition. I was thinking through, what, Lord, what does this look like? What, do, what are you saying? What do I really want to see happen in the church here? And I kind of boiled it down to four things. Get back to first generation type prayer. Number two, honestly access where we are as a church and individuals. Number three, make sure that our next generation experiences him firsthand themselves. So that they're not a second generation, they're just an extension of the first generation because they've had that experience themselves. If they can't say, we know not the Lord nor the things he has done, I want them to know the Lord and the things that he has done because he did it for them. And I want us to do more than talk about the good old days. Because when we start talking about the good old days, that can mean so many different things. 
Sometimes you hear people say, well, we have to go back to just like it used to be. So I guess that means we have to get out the uh, overhead projectors and have somebody changing the slides out for the songs. And, and we've got to do... Anyway, I'm not going to go there. What I'm talking about is seek a fresh and modern move of the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to have His way because we've gone back and we've done the old-fashioned things of getting on our face before God. What's the next thing that Habakkuk says? He says, I stand in awe of your deeds. When was the last time, and this hit me, when was the last time you left church in awe? Do we really stand in awe? Sometimes we're satisfied with the cute. Oh, that was cute. I don't want that kind of awe. I want to leave in awe of something that God has done. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Fire is not passive. Let's talk about this. Acceptable worship. What did Jesus say? My people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Reverence and awe. See, we need to understand the holiness of who it is we worship. Somewhere along the way, I think we lost the idea of His holiness. You know, there was another revival that took place over in England about the time that the Azusa Street Revival was taking place. That was the Welsh Revival. God poured out His Spirit The same thing, in a sense, that the Azusa Street Revival did to this nation, the Welsh Revival did over on the other side of the planet, and people began to change, and they truly, because of the things that God did, were put back in awe of God again. A few years back, I heard from a missionary friend that had actually gone back to that area and was there to do some services. And he happened to be standing out front of this church where they were going to be having this services. And he noticed that as people were coming in, that they would walk up. And before they even walked in the doors of the church, they would stop right then and there. And they would kneel and they would pray and they would get up and they'd go into the church. And he asked and he said, what in the world's going on? He said, oh, this is a holdover from the Welsh Revival because during the Welsh Revival, people would walk in with their circumstances and the Holy Spirit would expose their sin. So people got in the habit of taking care of their stuff before they walked in the church. We got to get back to a sense of awe. 
Unfortunately, it seems that the longer, the more we're engaged in something, the more likely it is that we lose this sense of awe. It happens to jobs. It happens to marriages. It happens to all these things. Just imagine your relationship with God. I was raising this thing my whole life, but I still remember what it felt like when I first truly got saved. There was just this sense, man, I wanted to, the Bible became alive to me, and I, I was just consuming it, and my prayer time was this joy, and, and, and all those things, and I, and I couldn't help but tell other people what had happened to me. Some of my friends that I used to run around with, that we would do some things that weren't exactly what we were supposed to be doing, all of a sudden noticed a change in me. I couldn't get enough. And then the same thing happened later when he called me into ministry. I remember the very first time I was scheduled to speak at a church I was a part of on a Wednesday night. My pastor at the time has gone on to be with the Lord, Pastor William Sipes. Man, he poured so much into my life. North Mesquite Assembly of God, we met and got married. I remember going and sitting down with him. He's like, Pastor, how do you know when you're called? Because the Holy Spirit was speaking some things to me, and I was wrestling with it because, I mean, in my opinion, in that day and time, pastors were somewhere up here, and I was somewhere down here, and I was like, how in the world could you call me to be that? And so I went and I sat down and I talked to him. And it's so funny. I said, how do you know where you're called? And I just want to know, is this real? What are you doing next? And he pulled out his little, he, had, he was one of those that carried those little paper calendars and booklet in his pocket. And he reached in his jacket and he pulled out the book, flipped it open and says, which Wednesday night do you want to preach? <laughs> Whoa, I didn't, I wasn't even, <laughs> <laughs> But I'll never forget when I finally let him pencil me in on a Wednesday night, as I sit down and I begin to, what in the world am I going to say? And this was before the day of all the software stuff that's available where now I've got all this stuff where I can have multiple translations of the Bible open on screens. I've got all these tools and things that I can use that makes it just so much easier and quicker. And I was sitting at our kitchen table and I had books spread all over the thing. And I was, I wasn't typing, I was handwriting my notes. And all of a sudden, God began to speak and began to give me things. And I began to jot it down. And I began to look up different scriptures and things. And this, this, this message was coming together. Now, I, I promise you, compared to, it was not the greatest message I ever spoke. But in that moment, the realization that the God of the universe was speaking to me and wanted to use me as a mouthpiece to speak into other people's lives, I can still picture in my mind the, the teardrops splattering on that yellow paper as the realization set in that he was speaking to me. The awe of that moment. It's shifted a little bit, but I'm still in awe every time he uses me. 
I'm still in awe every time that, that something happens. I consider what he allows me to do to be a privilege to serve him. So what is this awe? I think it's taking a healthy fear and mixing it with reverence and wonder and you mix that all together and you have awe. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for that personal, close, intimate relationship that we're capable of having. But at the same time, we still need to remain in awe of who he is. We still need to have a healthy fear of when he speaks like, you're in charge and I'm just the servant. I often tell the Lord in my own prayer time, Lord, you're really the shepherd. I'm just the sheepdog. It's just my job to chase the sheep down and try to herd them back to where they're supposed to be. What if we return to a sense of awe, a sense of awe for our services? I think if we were honest with ourselves, we'd be a little bit like the church in Ephesus where Jesus was speaking in the book of Revelation. He says this, Revelation 2, 3 through 5. I know you are patiently, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand represents the presence of the Holy Spirit in that church and God's glory. See, when we're in proper awe of God is in place, all of a sudden, our sins that we love so much, we begin to see them for how ugly they truly are. And we don't want to hold on to them anymore. Because when you're truly in love with him, when you truly experience his presence, none of that stuff matters anymore. Kind of reminds me of what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 5. I feel like this sometimes. Because Isaiah encountered God in an incredible way. And I love his response. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We need to get that awe back of how incredible he is and how far short we fall and how it is amazing that he even has anything to do with us. What would happen? See, because when the awe returns, our excuses begin to look as silly as they really are. What if, we were, what if we were to show up with an expectancy to worship God? What if we prayed for the services in advance? 
When was the last time you prayed for the service during the week before you showed up on a Sunday? Maybe even, I know this is mind-blowing, maybe even show up early to pray. (laughs) Instead of after worship is over with, just so you can hear the message. I talked to our worship team this morning. I said, you know what? I want you to do me a favor. I said, I want you to make sure that your practice time is ended 15 to 10 at the least before service time. I said, we're going to put worship music on and we're going to open the altars up so that we can begin to set the atmosphere before the service starts, I challenge you to join us. So during that time, I don't want, if you're going to visit, that's out there. I want us to begin to seek God and get on our face before him and say, Lord, we want a move of your Holy Spirit's presence. What if we showed up with anticipation? What if we showed up with expectancy, believing that God was going to do something? Wouldn't that bring more life to our worship? What if we did that? Moving on, I got to move quick. Next thing Habakkuk prayed was renew them in our day. Boy, that should be our prayer. Lord, renew these things again in our day. Isn't it sad that if we look at the church as a whole today that, that it doesn't compare favorably with the New Testament church we see in Acts? Somewhere along the line, we settled for less and we called it good enough. Guilty. I'm not just throwing stuff out at you guys. I'm... Habakkuk saw this in his day and he cried, Lord, renew them in our day. Renewal is another word for revival. We, we've, I'm, stuff is just. We have become a society, and I understand where I'm going here, that we look in the mirror and we see our flaws and we want to go get a little bit of renewal cream to cover up the wrinkles. Then what we really need is revival. We need to say, clear! We need more than a little cream to smooth out the wrinkles. We need to let God move and do something. The good news is, He wants to. It's not like we're asking for something that's difficult. I mean, we have it. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, every revival starts with a group of people who truly desire it enough to pray for it. We see it again and again through Scripture. I mean, the day of Pentecost itself, what was it? 120 people were gathered together, and they were praying, and they were asking. They didn't even know what they were asking for. They just know that God told them, Jesus told them to go and to wait, and they were there, and they were praying, and they were all together, and they were asking for the move of God, and they got it. We talked about the Azusa Street Revival. We talked about the Welsh Revival. More recently is the revival in Brownsville that on Father's Day, June 18th, 1995, in a church in Pensacola, Florida, Pastor John Kilpatrick had started just a little before that, began leading his people, began to, to pray for revival and do some of the very things that I'm talking about here. Now, I don't know what format he took. I don't know how he laid it out. But all I know is that there was a hunger. And on that Father's Day in 1995, God's presence swept through the place. It was a revival that lasted for five years. It is estimated that somewhere around 2.5 million people came through the church doors. I had an opportunity to attend a few of those services. Lazarus, his life was transformed during one of those services. You ought to talk to him about it sometime. Let him tell you about it. I'm not going to tell his story. I'm going to tell mine. I was already in ministry. We had gone... We had heard about this revival, and there's a group of us from the church we were part of. The staff went, were part, and it was amazing to show up and to see that the church doors had to be locked, and there was a line like you would not believe at every possible entrance into the church. Because God was moving, and people wanted to be there. It wasn't, they didn't have to fight over who was going to get there early because there was a line at the door. And if you didn't get there early, you didn't have a place to sit. And during that revival, incredible, I mean, people were filled with the Spirit, people were healed, miraculous things happened. Just like anything else, there was the doubters that came in to make fun, but many of them, God got a hold of them and transformed their lives. God did amazing things. I mean, I, I, I was telling Kim, I said, I'll never forget after the whole service was over with and we, and we had this encounter, this incredible time. I mean, literally just seeing the altar call take place and just like this mob running to the front to give their lives to Christ. Incredible. And I remember going to... We went to IHOP or one of those places late that night after the service was over with. Because let me know that, that you know, if you're, if you're a spirit-filled believer, that there's something about eating after you've been in a long service, you know. But I remember sitting there and watching people come in 
that were still almost drunk in the spirit. I mean, people that just could hardly, I mean, they could barely function. They're trying to come get something to eat, you know. And watching as some of the staff at the restaurant kind of making fun of them. It's like, well, we know what church they've been to. (laughs) But it became commonplace. The question is, how bad do we want him? Do we really want him to renew that in our day? Make them known. He said, in our time, make them known. We need to do more than talk about God's power. We need a demonstration of his power. Mark 16, 17 through 18, Jesus himself is talking and he says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them and they will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. The bottom line is, For his deeds to become known today, we have to get back to practicing his deeds. Every revival gets talked about both positively and negatively. Think about it. So if we we all of a sudden as a church and we seek God and we ask him to come and we ask him to do these things, he begins to pour out his spirit, there are going to be critics. There will probably even be some that hears like, this isn't what I signed up for, and will walk out the door. But look at what happened even on the day of Pentecost. I mean, talk about something miraculous of God, and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ in that moment, and there were some that looked at it and said, oh, they're just drunk, or they're crazy. Brownsville Revival, the same thing happened. Matter of fact, I heard some people that the the reason that they said that what was going on in Brownsville couldn't be of God was because they were doing modern worship music. Can I help you out here? Unless we're singing Jewish hymns, we ain't doing the original stuff. At some point, every bit of it was the new stuff of the day. The same, yes, there's great stories behind some of those old songs, and I still love some of them. But you know what? There's just the greatest stories about the, behind the songs that are written today. Not all of them, but many of them. It's not about the style, it's about the spirit behind the worship. See, if he makes himself known in our community, There may be some uncomfortable moments. What if we became known as, oh, they're one of the ones that attends that church over there off of Williams? I don't know about you. I could live with that. Lastly, this morning as we close, he says this, in wrath, remember mercy. And there is going to be a sermon on this subject coming on this series. I don't know when, but it's coming. Because wrath is coming. Or the book of Revelation is going to have to be rewritten. Revelation 16.1 Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go 
pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. It's coming. We can't continue to allow the rampant sin that is going on in this world without there being repercussions. I firmly believe that a lot of what we're seeing today is because it ain't interesting. Some people think that doing away with the rules is the way to bring peace. And everywhere we see this happening, we're seeing violence skyrocket. That's not the answer. And my, my goal is not to get political this morning. I said up front that, that, that the solution is not a political solution. The solution is people turning their hearts back to God. Our nation can't keep going this way and not expect judgment. We can't keep removing God from every aspect of our nation and expect there not to be consequences. Habakkuk knew this. I'm going to say this. We can't keep sacrificing millions of lives on the altar of convenience and calling it choice and expecting there not to be consequences. Wrath is coming for the sins of his creation. We've got to rise up. We need to be the ones like Abraham and interceding for this nation and saying, Lord, if I can find ten righteous, would you hold your, would you extend us your grace for the sake of those? Because there are people that are believers And we need to get on our face before God for this nation and pray that he will move in his power and that he will bring about restoration and and revival and change and that he will do so in his church. His church must rise up. Here's what I honestly believe is going to happen. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I say we're going to begin to see even more of a divide in this nation. I think the church is going to rise up and God is going to pour out his spirit. And those that oppose that are become, going to become more aggressive and more violent and we're going to see some difficult times in this nation. I believe that. But I also believe God has a way of raising his people up during times like this that he will pour out his spirit I've been, I tell you, I've been praying in my own life right now, Lord, however this gets, wherever it goes, I just ask one thing, that whatever I have to face, that your spirit gives me the courage and the strength to stand up in that moment and be what I need to be. I believe, though, we're going to see people come to the Lord by amazing numbers because I believe we're going to get a reality check 
because God's wrath is real. And we need to be praying, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Remember mercy. I challenge you, please join me this Wednesday night and let's pray for this nation. Because it's our job to cry out for mercy. This morning, I want us to go back to Habakkuk 3.2 and I want us to end. I know I've gone a little long. But how many know that sometimes when God lays something on your heart, you just have to get it all out. I want us to take a few moments and I want us to pray through this. And I challenge you to pray during your own time. Begin to pray for the services. Show up for the extra prayer times that we have. I'm going to try my best to make things convenient and fit people's schedule, but we have got to get back on our face before God. So let's pray through it. Lord Jesus, we have heard of your fame. Lord, I've seen you move in my life. I've seen you heal. I've seen you transform. I've seen you radically save people. I've seen you restore families. I've seen people that were facing surgeries that all of a sudden the x-ray is completely different from what they saw before. And Lord, I have seen you perform the miraculous. And Lord, I stand in awe of those deeds. But Lord, I ask you, Lord, as we read about the things you've done in the past, Lord, I ask you to renew them in our day. I ask you to pour out your spirit again, anew and afresh. Let us return to our first love. Let us fall back in love with you again. Let us know your presence one more time. Cause us as your people to rise up again and become the men and women of God that you called us to be. Let us embrace you for who you are. Let us stand, Lord. This may not be the easiest time we've ever had in history. This may not be the most comfortable time to walk this thing out. But, Lord, let us put comfort aside. Let us put the challenges aside. Let us rise up and be the men and women of God that you've called us to be, to walk in the fullness of it, to not walk into fear, but know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Let us be like Elisha's servant that all all of a sudden our eyes are open and we see that there are more for us than there are against us. Lord, I've heard of your fame. Make them known in our day. In our time, make them known. And Lord, we ask this morning that in wrath you remember mercy. Lord, we know that apart from the grace that was provided for on the cross, that our sin will eventually incur the wrath of an almighty holy God. But I ask you that in wrath that you remember mercy, that in your judgment as you begin to judge this nation on the ways that we have pushed you out of this and we've pushed you out of that and we've taken things that are in your word and somehow we've decided that that doesn't apply anymore today. But Lord, I 
pray that as you begin to judge those things, Lord God, that you would remember those of us that serve you, that you would pour out mercy, that we would see revival, that we would see, Lord, you move again in, in our day and our time. And Lord, we ask for your mercy. We ask you for your grace. We ask you for supernatural empowerment. We ask you for peace. And Lord, we ask you for courage when we need courage. We ask you to lead and order our steps. Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, send that revival and start with me. Lord, send that revival and start here in this church. And in our families. And let it spread from there. Pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. For those of you that are online, thank you for joining us. Billy is standing at the back. If you have tithe or offerings, you can drop them in there. You can also give online or through the church app. We love you all and we appreciate you being here this morning. And I'll see prayerfully a lot of you Wednesday night as we intercede for this nation. Amen.